Hi, Tony G Nation. It's your host, Tony G. Today, solo, no Will McCormick. Uh, we'll miss him, but welcome him back sometime soon enough. His uh, absence from the Tony G Show today is because of work reasons, not technically work, but he has uh, a couple things he's getting involved in on the economy side of things here at St. Norbert College. Uh, state of the economy or something, uh, that's something that uh, St. Norbert does every every year. I'm not too caught up on it personally, but I know that he's big involved in that. You know, he's the triple major that we've mentioned here on the show, big on the financial side of sports. That's what he brings to the Tony G Show. So he's doing something with that. He won't be in today. He was unable to make it. So I'm going to ride solo. That's no problem, though, because this is something that, as the Tony G Show continues to progress and come to an end, and eventually start to transform into a different podcast. You know, I want to continue the podcast after the Tony G Show comes to an end in May. It's something that I'm going to be doing more of and possibly full-time in terms of a new podcast. Uh, Not like a full-time job officially employed or something like that. But just in terms of uh, when I come on to talk about a podcast, the goal is to do it full-time, solo, just by myself and practice that craft. So we always welcome these solo opportunities here on the Tony G Show, or at least I do. We got a good docket planned for today. If you remember from last Thursday's show, that was the fourth episode of Season 8. This is the fifth episode of Season 8. On that fourth episode, we previewed Super Bowl 56. Cincinnati Bengals, Los Angeles Rams, AFC versus NFC, 56th official Super Bowl of the NFL. So we previewed everything. We looked at both teams. We started with the Bengals, we started with the Rams, and then we compared the two. We did three pregame thoughts, which... I forgot to tweet out. I had the I had the draft made on my Twitter, and then it got lost somehow. And I was like, "Well, the game's almost starting." I had a couple things. I just I was like, "All right, I just won't tweet it. I'll just mention it on the show." And uh, all the true Tony G Nation supporters know what the three pregame tweets were, and they weren't that important, anyways. So I had I had previewed everything with Will McCormick, and now this is the recap show. All Super Bowl 56 for the last two shows. We're going to be all footballed out by the time we're done talking about the Super Bowl. But it's the Super Bowl. I mean, it only comes around once a year. It's like WrestleMania. Or it's like the World Series. I mean, you only get one shot to watch the Super Bowl every year. And so that's what it, it, it needs. It's ample amount of time to preview. It needs an ample amount of time to recap as well. So that's why we're going to spend a full episode on it again today. Before we do, I want to uh, mention a couple things. Thursday's show is going to be partly NFL-related as well over the weekend since we last met our last show on last Thursday. The NFL Season Awards were given out Coach of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year. Aaron Rodgers took home the MVP, his fourth of his career. So more to come on that. We'll break that down in the first segment of Thursday's show. We already have that set up in the document. So that'll be ready to go. Make sure to tune into Thursday's show as we break down and recap the season awards for the NFL. Of course, I always have to advertise the Tony G Show interviews because these guests that I am pulling out and these guests that come on and spend their time, we're so gracious for them, do a great job. I mean, I just love having these conversations and I'm getting to the point as an interviewer where I get to the end of these interviews and I think to myself, that was a really good conversation. You know, I have a document made and I'm starting to time things out. I want it to be a certain amount of time. And I'm like, I just don't know if we can fill this time with what I have on this document. You know, I always kind of doubt myself and I need to stop doing that because these conversations are so organic, are so general and so natural 
to the sport or to the coach or the player or what we have. So they just kind of take themselves. And before you know it, we're 45, 50 minutes into an interview and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got this person has a life. I have to let them go. I can't just keep talking to them. So I don't, I'm getting to the point where I don't feel fully satisfied that I've asked everything I've wanted to ask. And that's something that I know veteran interviewers that I try to model my interviewing style after have in them. So I'm starting to see that. So these are, point is, these are really good interviews. These are really good discussions because of the type of people that are gracious enough to spend their time, the sport that they are affiliated with or coach or play. And they're just good people. I mean, that's the people of St. Norbert College. They're just good people. They're just genuine speakers. They're genuinely nice, genuinely generous with their time. So it's always a good conversation. So again, this is all to advertise the interviews. Last week we had Mike Pant, the SNC men's basketball player. This week, tomorrow, we're recording this episode on a Tuesday. Tomorrow's episode is going to be A.J. Aitken, the head coach of the women's hockey team, who's done a fantastic job as the head coach of the program here at uh, St. Norbert College for the Green Knights. Their regular season has not concluded. The reason that we got that interview in was because they were on a bye week last week. So A.J. had some time, spent the... the better part of his Friday morning with the Tony G show recording that interview. So we thank him for that. That's a great interview. That's going to come out tomorrow, next Wednesday. And then the Wednesday of next week, Dan Lucas, who is the assistant director of athletics communications, we interviewed him. He is also the manager of the De Pere Legion baseball team. And while he's been the manager of that program, he has won a state championship four times. So he knows a lot about baseball. He knows a lot about sports. He has a lot of stories from his time at St. Norbert College. He's been here for almost 25 years. He's seen all five of the national championship runs of the men's hockey team. So he talks about that. That's a great conversation. That's next Wednesday. Just wanted to keep you up to speed on the Tony G Show interviews. Holy cow, this intro has gotten long. I can't wait to get in today. We're going to talk Super Bowl 56 recap. Just a general discussion. Look at some stats. Look at some standout players. And then... Three post-game thoughts. I had them for the Super Bowl. And to conclude today's show, a bit funner of a segment and discussion, I also did three post-halftime show thoughts on Twitter. I'm just the king. I'm putting some sports discussions, now even halftime show discussions, into three thoughts. I mean, I really am. I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but come on. So to conclude the show, we'll talk about the halftime show as well and then recap uh, Super Bowl 56, just in general. That's what today is about. Let's get into it. We'll miss Moe McCormick, but hey, we're going to have a good discussion. Just you and me, Tony G Nation. This is Tony G Show. You are listening to the eighth and final season of the Tony G Show. Eight seasons of laughs, memories, and sports are coming to an end. Follow the show on Twitter at Willis5312 and at Tony G Nation. Check out more from Tony G at TonyGNation.com. Now, along with Will McCormick, Here's your host, Tony G. It's lonely being in Tony G Studios alone. I'm telling you, I mean, it's, it's quiet. It's kind of empty. I mean, you know, there's no Will McCormick here bouncing off the walls. There's no janitor at, at Tony G Studios. Christian bouncing around, cleaning stuff, doing technical side of things. It's just me. It's just myself. Kind of weird. That's okay, though. We'll get used to it. I'm open to this. I like the solo experience, as I mentioned in the open. Let's get into today's show. Super Bowl 56 recap. We'll take a look at some of the stats. Our Super Bowl champions, 
The new champions of the football world are the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams got the 23-20 win over the Cincinnati Bengals just last Sunday in a game that was, I mean, pretty good all the way through. It didn't have that electric factor that I think some past Super Bowls have when you think about, you know, when you think about the last time the Rams, uh, I shouldn't say were in the Super Bowl, but the last time the Rams won it against the Titans, it was that play that came down to the last one. It was truly electric. Of course, those highlights of that game, I think it was Super Bowl 34 or something like that, way back in the early 2000s, or maybe even the 90s, I don't know. It was before my time, before I could start to remember football. It came down to the last play, and you know some highlights were up on Twitter. And just that last drive by the Titans that fell short, Steve McNair kept the play alive and got it to Dyson. And the, the energy, the electricity in that stadium, was just on a different level than it felt like this Super Bowl was on. It was a good Super Bowl. It was a well-played game. It was a well-reffed game until the last two minutes. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in general, you know, it sounded it sounded good. I think the announcers did a good job. I think the broadcast was good. And the game, I mean, it was close. It wasn't a blowout, you know, like with the Broncos, Panthers. It wasn't you know, completely one-sided. It wasn't, you know, one team's pulling away, but keeping the other team's keeping it close. It was good right down to the finish, man. The entire game was close, and it felt like either team, if they get a bounce of the ball one certain way, have a chance to win this game. It felt it had that vibe the entire night that you were watching the Super Bowl. And, of course, it came down to the final couple of minutes. The Rams got the win 23-20 in a game that was very close all game long. Some final stats. We'll go through the quarterbacking stats first. Matthew Stafford was 26 of 40, 283, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Joe Burrow, on the other hand, 22 of 33, 263, a touchdown, no interceptions. Surprising to me that Burrow, the rookie, threw no interceptions. Matthew Stafford threw two and got the win. That's been the thing. That's been the mantra all season long with the Rams, though. When you think of some of the Rams' games, even the games that they've lost. It's been Matthew Stafford turning the ball over. Remember when we did that last week? We compared the turnover numbers, and Joe Burrow's one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the league. Matthew Stafford, on the other hand, he's a good quarterback, but he turns the ball over. He's late in his career. He's been injured a lot. This is his 13th year in the NFL in a new team, a new organization on the completely other opposite coast of the of the country that he's playing on now in Los Angeles, playing on the West Coast with the Rams in California. He's the guy that turns it over. He's the guy that throws these interceptions, makes some of these careless or too bold throws. And when you tell me that, you know, without telling me the score, if you were going to tell me Stafford's going to throw two interceptions, Bengals and and the Burrow and Joe Burrow is going to throw none, I would tell you that the Bengals were probably going to be the victor. I tell you that those interceptions for Stafford probably came at a big point in the game and would prove rather costly to Los Angeles and the Rams. If you would have told me that Matthew St- even without the Burrow stat line, if you were going to tell me that Matthew Stafford is going to throw two interceptions, even one, even if you told me Stafford's going to throw one interception in the Super Bowl, I'd tell you Bengals are going to win that game because Stafford's going to throw that interception in a big moment. It's not necessarily the way I believe that Garoppolo is going to throw an interception in a big moment. He didn't against the Packers. He didn't 
he did against the Cowboys, though. He did against the Rams. In that Packer game, it felt like it was coming. He did it a couple times in the regular season. You know, it just felt like Garoppolo had that factor that he's going to throw an interception in a big moment. And I also have that same feeling with Stafford, not to the same extent. I don't think it's as likely to happen as it were to happen to Jimmy Garoppolo, but it could happen. Yeah, I've seen Matthew Stafford do that. Some of these bad losses, the Rams lost five times this season. And in, in about three of them, maybe more, Stafford had some pretty costly interceptions, some pretty costly turnovers. So that stat line impresses me that the Rams were able to get the win with two Stafford interceptions and not picking off Burrow once. The stat line that does stand out to me, and this is something we're going to get into more, but I have to mention it now, is the stat on the sacks for each of these two quarterbacks. Matthew Stafford was sacked twice for a loss of 13 yards. Joe Burrow, on the other hand, sacked seven times. A loss of 43 yards. That's half a football field. Almost. 43 yards he got sacked and lost yardage for. And on the last play of the game, he didn't get sacked, but it was Aaron Donald pressuring him in the pocket on fourth and one. And he has to throw up some duck that Samaj P. Ryan probably has a good chance to catch, but doesn't necessarily lay out for it. I don't know if he had the right footing. or I don't think that's a P. Ryan thing, that that play wasn't converted. But I do think it's worth mentioning that... Stafford got sacked twice. Burrow got sacked seven times. Who was the offensive line that protected their quarterback more? It inevitably was going to be Matthew Stafford was going to be hit less because we all knew. I had mentioned it in the pregame show, and again, I don't want to get too far into this because I have more stats on it later, but it's just worth mentioning now that you knew it was going to come down to which team could protect their quarterback, and the Bengals could not do that. So when we think of some team stats and some total numbers, the Cincinnati Bengals, I saw this stat in post-game shows that really caught my attention, and here it is. The Cincinnati Bengals on third down and fourth down were a combined four for 17, three of 14 on third down, one of three on fourth down whereas the Rams were 7 of 16 on third and fourth down. The Bengals couldn't convert to save their lives. They couldn't extend a drive, and on the last play of the game, it's fourth and one. You need to pick up a yard and a half. I say a yard and a, You need to pick up a yard, but you need to pick up a yard and a half to feel safe about it, you know, to, to pick up that first down and not have to have it go to review, not have to bring the chain gang out there and, and measure the sticks. You know, you need about a yard and a half to fully and confidently get this first down. And they couldn't protect Burrow in that moment. That's what it boils down to. And it just goes to show that these efficiency numbers, third down, fourth down, the Bengals could not extend a drive. The Rams, and I credit the Rams defense, they did great all game long. The secondary, the front seven, the pass rush, they were in Burrow's face all day long. The secondary was holding down guys like Higgins and Bur- and uh, Chase. The, even though they got theirs, you know, I mean, it wasn't a complete, it wasn't a complete shutdown of the Bengals' offense, but they did what they had to do. Did the Rams? So I mean, that that was one team stat that took my attention. But again, it, let's dive into this here 
And we're going to in a bit in a moment when I talk about three post-game thoughts. But it, it happened in the Super We talked about it. It was one of my pre-game thoughts. I said, this game is going to come down to the Cincinnati offensive line protecting Joe Burrow against the Rams front seven, against the Rams pass rush. And it just did not pan out the way that the Bengals needed it to. This is a complete meltdown of the offensive line of Cincinnati. It completely was. You can tell me all you want about how good the Rams played, and I think they played great. I think they played a great game. But even the weakest of offensive lines besides Cincinnati, maybe besides Seattle, protect their quarterback and take off at least three of those sacks. No way you can let Joe Burrow get sacked more than four times. I mean, four is like a cutoff, right, in a regular season game, let alone a Super Bowl. But if you get sacked more than four times, it's like, what do you, you just throw your hands up in the air at some point. And it's like, what do I got to do? I mean, do I, have to, do I have to throw this ball as soon as I get it out of the shotgun snap? Do I have to take a three-step drop every play and just get rid of the football? And You know, that, that, that is a viable, you know, the plan to counteract being pass rushed at such an extent, but it's... I was watching that game, and I'm like, how many times has he been sacked already? You know, it's it's unprecedented how inevitable that was. How everybody knew it because Burrow, second year, injured in his first year because he couldn't get protected. Joe Burrow almost got injured in the Super Bowl because he couldn't get protected. In a Super Bowl where he was sacked seven times, tied for the most in Super Bowl history, 19 sacks This playoff, that's how many times he was taken to the ground in the backfield. 19 times. I mean, if there's anywhere for improvement, it's definitely there. Right there at the offensive line. Will talked about it last week where he mentioned he didn't like, or it wasn't that he didn't like, but he was surprised that the Bengals went with a wide receiver drafted Chase instead of finding an offensive lineman to protect Burrow, your franchise quarterback. And I could get that argument. You know, in retrospect, that's, I mean, my goodness, Jamar Chase, who's been, who's had an incredible impact on this team. But at the same rate, it's like you're not, you're not building an offensive line to protect this guy. I mean, this is almost Carson Palmer 2.0, where Carson Palmer was getting sacked and getting injured and getting hit. Even when he went to Oakland, Palmer did. He was getting sacked, and he was getting hit at record rates. And it's the same thing with Burrow. Burrow is just more fragile in your mind when you think about, oh, my gosh, this guy tore his ACL in his rookie season, and now here he is, sophomore year, and he's getting hit at an exuberant rate. In your mind, you you think to yourself, my goodness, what has to happen for Joe Burrow to have some sort of better protection than what he has right now? Listen, I got more on this coming up in a moment uh, sec- in segment number two when I give my three post-game thoughts for Super Bowl 56. But we'll transition to other portions of Super Bowl 56 if we're in this general recap right now. I told you, this was something that I mentioned, and I'll mention it again in segment two, something that I mentioned in the pre-game thoughts. Ob- yeah, Cooper Cup is having a great year, but OBJ, hey, look out for this guy. You know, he's had the three-game stretch of his life. And so he did have a great game for about that first quarter for the Rams. 
It was about that first quarter because that's all he could have before he got injured. And it is suspected that he tore his ACL, which is completely brutal. You never want to see that happen, especially when someone's having such a game that he did have. It was a non-contact injury. He was running a route. The ball was thrown to him. And right as it got to him, it just looked like something wasn't right with the way he took a step with that left foot, that left plant leg to make that catch and try to make something happen in yards after the catch and making a run after. But he just took that plant and went down. And you you kind of got it. I mean, it kind of clicked in your head. Like, that is that is the reaction. When you think about a reaction of someone tearing their ACL, when it's not like they're getting sacked and rolled up on and their leg bends a different way, when you think about the reaction of someone tearing their ACL, that's pretty much what it is. It's not that they're getting hit. It's that they take a step the wrong way for that ACL tendon, and it just snaps, and it just goes. And that's similar to what happened on, on Sunday. OBJ, like I said, to my point, though, had a great game to that point. Two receptions, 52 yards, and a touchdown. I found this stat in the uh, post-game shows and online as well. Seven touchdowns in 12 games with the Rams. You know how many touchdowns he had in 19 games with the Browns? Seven. Seven touchdowns with both teams. Took him seven less, it took him eight less games, seven less games with the Rams to hit that mark. And I do have to retract. I do have to retract what I said. I mean, this is the right time to say it. We're talking Super Bowl 56. We're not talking Baker Mayfield. But I made that discussion. I made the argument that I had Baker Mayfield's back when OBJ left the Browns in season number seven of the Tony G Show. And I had that discussion. I remember it very well because it was the unpopular take at the time. There were big names out there of some of these sports media personalities and commentators on the NFL that said, this is Baker's fault. And I came out and I said, listen, this is not Baker's fault. This is an OBJ thing. This is a Browns thing. This isn't Baker. And I had his back. But seeing how well OBJ played, seeing how in his element he looked in that blue and yellow out in Los Angeles, seeing how happy he was, seeing how more often he smiled, how more active he was in post-game pressers and in in press conferences in general after practices and stuff like that. That's a Baker Mayfield thing in, in Cleveland. It's a side conversation. It's a conversation for another day. But it's worth mentioning now that I have to retract my take. That's a, that's a Baker Mayfield problem out in Cleveland. He is not the man moving forward because you can see the impact that OBJ had in Los Angeles. He got there and things clicked for him and the rest of the organization. Super Bowl MVP was not OBJ because he did injured. He was on pace for it, though. If he doesn't get injured, he's going to continue to get targets, continue to get touches, continue to improve the day he had. I mean, he had a Super Bowl MVP right there in his wings if he doesn't get injured. And it's not his fault, of course, but the Super Bowl MVP did go to Cooper Cup, who had the best season for a wide receiver, I think, ever. I mentioned this in the in the pregame show on Thursday that, I mean, he is a top two wide receiver in the NFL in terms of talent, probably second to Devontae. You could make the argument for first because of the numbers he put up. Won the triple crown in receptions, completions, you know, it took the triple crown with most completions, most, most touchdowns, most receiving yards, and then comes in, has a great playoff run, and plays well in the Super Bowl, gets himself a Super Bowl MVP. Eight receptions, 92 yards, two scores. That's about the most deserving Super Bowl MVP I've ever seen. 
especially after the season he had. It's only fitting that he gets that he gets his mark there. You know, and looking at some of these other stats, I mean, no one was even close. I'm going to pull up these stats again here. He had the best day by a by a mile by anybody. The leading rusher, Cam Akers, for the Rams was 13 to 21. You're not going to give it to Stafford, who threw two picks, got sacked twice, and Cooper Cup was the leading receiver with 40 more yards than Odell Beckham, who had to leave the game with an ACL injury. Look at some of the numbers on defense. I mean, everybody that is worthy had one sack. Aaron Donald had two sacks. Von Miller had two sacks and two tackles for losses on that. So, I mean, it's – are you going to give it to someone who got a sack twice because then you have to choose between Donald and Miller? Or are you going to give it to the best wide receiver statistically in the NFL? Nah, makes sense. I, I, have my, I had my vote on Cooper Cup as well. I mean, that didn't shock me at all. And in the postgame celebration conference where he's up there, you know, he was like, I don't feel like I'm deserving of this. And it's, it's great to see that, that he's humble. He's a married man. He has a family. He has a young child that he took with him in the, in the press conference. So he's a good guy, and that's the type of guy you want to see, you want to root for. And I said it after the NFC Championship game when they beat the 49ers. Cooper Cup's the type of guy you want to see in the, in the Super Bowl. He's the type of player you want to see. And he showed out and lived up to expectations. He sets the standard in terms of statistical leading wide receivers. The part I do want to answer for here, listen, there is some questionable flags in the last two minutes of that ball game, okay? That red zone possession for the Rams, it just kind of felt weird to me. You know, I, and, and I'm not one for giving a platform to conspiracies with no basis, with no validity, with no, absolutely no facts. I'm not one to listen to conspiracies when there's not proof given in front of me that hey this is something that you know I, I just I'm not one for saying that that was rigged there was people on Twitter saying wow that looks scripted that looks staged that looked completely thought of ahead of time I, I've done some thinking on that and I'm not willing to give attention to that conspiracy but I do want to mention it because it's my podcast and I feel like I can do that I feel like it's worth mentioning because it's the Super Bowl. If this is week seven and you're telling me that the Steelers, you know, lost to the Ravens because there was a fix in, the NFL wants to get the Ravens to the. No, I'm not going to listen to that. But it's the Super Bowl and it's worth mentioning. The refs stayed out of that entire game and it could have just been a couple bad calls, but it just seemed, you know, there was that third and short situation. Rams, incomplete pass. Now it's going to be fourth down, but oh, wait, here comes a flag. It wasn't like, you know, Stafford's back to pass. There's a flag down, and this play is incomplete. It's fourth down. Now there's a flag. It happened in an order that was kind of questionable. Stafford drops back to pass. He throws. It's incomplete. Now you see a flag fly. It's going to be fourth down. No, wait, now it's first down. And it just seemed to me that that was questionable at best. I don't want to give it too much attention, but it was questionable. Now, when you th- and when you pair up the fact that it was in L.A., that the NFL had gone to every extent to give this an L.A. feel, you know, SoFi Stadium, just a couple years old, you get the entire Los Angeles rap culture in there with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, 50, I mean, you got the, 
entire Los Angeles feel to the Super Bowl show, to the halftime show, to the entire week. It just felt like a Los Angeles thing. So you can logically look at that and think, well, the NFL had a fix in to get the Rams the win in a Super Bowl that they hosted, in a Super Bowl that was all about Los Angeles because this is something where the NFL wants to give that feel back to Los Angeles that it's a football town. You could make that argument. Pairing everything together, you could logically make that argument, and I'd be li- I'd be open to listening to that. I'm not going to because I'm not a big conspiracy person, but I'd be wi- I'd be willing to listen to that. There is some merit to that argument. You have me on that. You have me on that. In the two decades that two or maybe more the decades that football is not in Los Angeles, and now the NFL makes this big push to get the Rams out of St. Louis and put them in. Los Angeles, the Chargers jump ship on that, and they move from San Diego, which they, they absolutely did not need to move. San Diego was a great football town. I mean, they loved their Chargers, and they left and went to Los Angeles. So you could argue that the NFL wanted football wanted Los Angeles to be looked at as a football town. I'd be willing to listen to that. I'm not going to talk any more on that, but I'd be willing to listen to that. And it also doesn't take away from the great game that it was. I mean, it, like, like I said, it was back and forth all game long. It felt like one bounce, one direction is going to make absolutely massive tsunami ripple effects throughout the rest of the game. So it was a good game. It doesn't take away from it. But I did want to mention that. A discussion question before we move on to segment number two and my three post-game thoughts for Super Bowl 56. Did the Rams win? Or did the Cincinnati Bengals lose? Hmm. This is something I really wanted Will to be here to discuss with me because he watched the Super Bowl. But I know, here's the thing. The Rams won. Bengals didn't lose that game. Burrow played great. I mean, you could argue that the offensive line lost it for Cincinnati, and I could see that. But Burrow getting sacked seven times, under pressure every time he drops back, did not throw an interception. When you look at some of the stats from the Bengals, yeah, they didn't convert on their third and fourth down, but the Rams played exceptionally well to the point where they were in control of the outcome. It was like the Bengals felt like things were getting away from them, slipping away, control was slipping away, time of possession was slipping away from them, and the Rams had control. The Rams were able to go down and score, and then you knew that that defense who had been putting pressure on Burrow all day long was going to come up It just felt like the Rams, if they played their brand of football, were going to win. And it felt like the Bengals, if they played their brand of football, Joe Burrow was going to get sacked and that game was going to be lost. You can make the argument one way or the other, now that I'm saying it. But but I think the Rams won because of how well they played. That defense was persistent. The front seven was phenomenal. The offense played great. I think the Rams won that one. It's a good discussion question because, you know, now that I mentioned that in the moment, and I wish Will was here to bounce off an idea here, I mean, Matthew Stafford did throw two interceptions. You know, and so the Bengals, it's almost like the Packers NFC Championship game against the Buccaneers a year ago where Tom Brady threw three interceptions and still got the win. The Packers lost that game. They absolutely made too many huge mistakes, and the Buccaneers won that, won that game because the Packers lost it and advanced. So I can hear it's a discussion question. You know, there's a discussion base to it, but... You know, there's no one right answer because the Rams did get the win anyways. But did they win? 
or did the Bengals lose that game? I could I could be open to both. Let me know what you think. At TonyGNation.com, at TonyGNation on Twitter. Transitioning from segment to segment. We recapped why the Rams got the win, looked at some important stats, some X factors. And now my three post-game thoughts. You know I do this. I've done it for every playoff game this year. And the Super Bowl is a must. Thought number one, and this, this is exactly how I tweeted it. I'll give a thought. I'll do my explanation. I'll give a thought, do my explanation, and so on for the three post-game thoughts. Thought number one, as on Twitter, as predicted in Tony G show, OBJ had a great game until that injury. Sad. Like I said, OBJ, two receptions, 52 yards, and a touchdown. Left the game with a knee injury. It would later be revealed yesterday afternoon into the evening that it was a torn ACL. And I think we all knew that was coming. But until that happened, like I said, man, when I tweeted out that, yeah, Cooper Cup is Cooper Cup, you know you're going to have to cover him, but don't overlook OBJ. Odell Beckham had a great game until that injury. He was on pace to be the Super Bowl MVP until he tore his ACL. A guy who wanted to enter free agency, who wanted to leave Cleveland, who wanted to find somewhere that he could compete for a Super Bowl. He went out, he went and found himself a contract with the Los Angeles Rams and got himself a ring. And he played like he wanted one, too. Like I said, seven touchdowns in 12 games with the Los Angeles Rams. Seven touchdowns in 19 games with the Cleveland Browns. He was on a different level. This was the three to four game stretch of his lifetime. This Odell Beckham resurgence in the playoffs. So congratulations to him for getting his ring. But like I said, that was one of my thoughts. You can give all the attention in the world to Cooper Cup, but hey, don't overlook the fact that Odell Beckham's on this roster too. Not to mention that I'm a huge fan of Van Jefferson, but just to stick within the premise of my postgame thought here, don't overlook Odell Beckham. Don't overlook him. I think he's overrated. You know, he's not like when he hit the free agent market, everyone's like, holy cow, you got to pay this guy big bucks. And it's like, you know, he hasn't produced at that rate. He's good. He's talented. He's quick. He's athletic. But, you know, there's just not a lot that separates him from like a supporting cast member uh, of a wide of a, another wide receiver or something like that. I mean, he's like a he's like a McCole Hardman. You know, where he's not the number one wide receiver anymore. But you put him on a roster on the opposite side of a number one, a Cooper Cup, a Tyreek Hill in this example, he's going to be effective. So, you know, he's it's he's overrated. He's hyped up too much. But he's still a good wide receiver, and you had to pay attention to him in that Super Bowl. Thought number two, also mentioned on the Tony G Show, came down to the Cincinnati O-line protecting Joe Burrow, and it cost them a ring. Absolutely it did. Seven sacks in the Super Bowl, pressured on that last possession, um, down three, fourth and one, and he gets pressured by Aaron Donald, has to throw up some duck that Samaj P. Ryan is not close to enough to catch. It didn't come down to that last play. I mean, it did, but it didn't in terms of this thought because he had no time in the pocket all day long. I mean, it just seemed like ball was snapped, someone's in his face. I mean, the Bengals have got to do something with that offensive line. It cost them a Super Bowl. You protect Joe Burrow and he has enough time. Did you see the images that have surfaced? In the days following Super Bowl 56, where Jamar Chase is pretty much wide open, if he continues on his route, you know, it's a still image that popped up. But if he continues on that route, he's wide open down the field. Joe Burrow hits him in stride like he has all year, and there's that big play, the Bengals are back on top. 
But Joe Burrow didn't have the time. Got spun to the ground. Had to throw up some wobbly goose to Samaj P. Ryan. And it was incomplete because the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line couldn't give Joe Burrow an ample amount of time to throw the football downfield. I told you it would come down to that. I said that in the pregame thought. I said, you have got to protect Joe Burrow if you want a chance to win this game. You can't let him get sacked seven times. I mean, I didn't exactly say that word for word. You know, that would be quite the immaculate prediction if I said, you know, seven sacks. They're going to get seven sacks. You can't let that happen. I said it earlier in today's show. I didn't say it on Thursday, but the cutoff is like three to four sacks. If you get sacked two, three, four times, okay. You know, four is a lot of sacks, but it's a winnable ball game. But when you get sacked seven times, you just know that one of you just know that one of them is going to be a costly one. And even though that last play wasn't a sack, he was pressured. He was spun to the ground as he threw. Would have been an eighth sack. You just you can't let that happen. Sacked 19 times this playoff season. Just can't happen if you're the Bengals. I mean, that's completely avoidable. So I'm going to spend a second on this because I got time in the Tony G show. Why is it that the Bengals could not protect Joe Burrow all year? Why is it that that happened? They're just not good enough offensive linemen. When you looked at some of the highlights of some of these sacks that Joe Burrow had to take or some of the pressures, yeah, it's, a, it's an impressive front seven, but it's something that happened all year where Joe Burrow was under pressure all season long. It wasn't just this one game. Like I said, it's 19 sacks this postseason. Joe Burrow got hit more than any other quarterback throughout the course of this year. So, when you look at it, it's just not a good enough offensive line. They're not strong enough. They're not elusive enough. They're not aware enough. Some of these highlights that I watched on some of these sacks, I mean, they're just getting overpowered. I get it's Aaron Donald, but come on now. You can't let that happen. I mean, you have got to double team or do whatever you can. You can't let Joe Burrow get sacked eight times. And is that a Zach Taylor thing too where offensive play caller, hello, you can't buy Joe Burrow any extra second of time because he's got a man in his face. So let's start to dial up some quick passes, some out routes, uh, some slants, use the West Coast offense. Why are we sending Jamar Chase on a go route down the field, on a deep post route down the field on fourth and one? You know that Joe Burrow's not going to have time to hit him. So why not use that talent of Jamar Chase? I get it, maybe a decoy, but come on now. You're just eliminating Jamar, play, Jamar Chase from the play, and look where it got you. So I think it's an offensive play caller thing as well. You know, I don't think, and it's not that they weren't aware. I mean, they knew, they obviously knew that this was something that was going to happen. But nonetheless, here we are, and... Uh, that's uh, That was my second postgame thought, that it came down to the Bengals protecting Joe Burrow, and they didn't, and it cost him a ring. My third and final postgame thought for Super Bowl 56, good for Stafford. Burrow will be back soon. So let's break it down for these two quarterbacks. Stafford, the entire career that he had in Detroit, the 12 years there, in that organization that, I, I mean, just needs just needs a miracle to win a game. I mean, they just have bad breaks. They have had raunchy coaching, some bad uh, front office decisions, some bad play in terms of talent on the field, and it seems like they can just never get it to click in a season. Like they just can't all get it to click for a single season to put. And and they did, you know, a few years ago when they 
uh, got into the playoffs under Stafford. They did for once, but it was like, you know, this is the Lions organization. They're not going to win a Super Bowl playing the way that they are. They have to they need a full culture change. And I think they're finally getting that with Dan Campbell. I like Dan Campbell, but good for Stafford to spend 12 years in Detroit, say this very heartfelt goodbye when it was time for him to leave the organization and a very heartfelt thank you to the 12 years he spent there, even though he got crunched, even though he got injured, even though he didn't win a lot and he went to Los Angeles and got a ring. Good for him. Good for him. I don't know. I don't know that that makes him a Hall of Fame contender. There's a lot of talk going on. Well, he has the same amount of rings as Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is an MVP. Yeah, well, Stafford does not have four does not have four MVPs. Is he on the same level? Is Aaron Rodgers on the same level as Joe Flacco then? Come on now. You know, just take a chill pill. Jimmy Garoppolo almost got to two Super Bowls. You know, just take a breather. I don't know that Stafford this that this makes Stafford a Hall of Famer. It just makes him a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And you know, when you think about the the level of discipline it takes for players to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's very minimal in the NFL compared to other sports. Like Major League Baseball, you have to be the best at the best. And I was talking with uh, – this point is more so janitor of uh, Tony G Studio Christian's point because this is exactly what he said. And I think it's a great point, and so I'm going to echo it here and give credit to him. The N- the MLB, you have to be the best at the best you know, to, to make – to make the Hall of Fame. Todd Helton played 19 years, batted over 300 for a career batting average, and you know played exceptional baseball. And he's you know he's he's on the frisk of being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Ryan Howard, guy who I think should get in, in conversations with Christian Janitor of Tony G Studios, he thinks Ryan Howard should be in. But I've talked to many people who say he shouldn't be. Well, if this was the NFL. Ryan Howard's going to get into the Hall of Fame because the standards are just different. You know, if you play a handful of seasons, if you play more than, you know, nine, ten seasons, and you are exceptional at your position to the point where, you know, you have impacts on games, you start putting up some good stats, then you're going to get in. So I, that for that reason, it wouldn't shock me if Stafford got elected to a Hall of Fame. I don't think he's deserving of it by the standards that I wish the NFL Hall of Fame would have set. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Stafford found found his way to a gold jacket at some point. On the other hand of that thought, Burrow will be at, will be back soon. Listen, Joe Burrow has a huge future if he stays healthy. That's what I mean by that. He'll be back soon. You know, there's some people out there saying, I don't know that the Bengals are going to be back in a Super Bowl. I don't know if I trust Joe Burrow. Listen... I don't think this is a fluke type of year. When you think of how the Bengals carried themselves through the playoffs, I mean, my goodness, they went into Tennessee and got a win against Derrick Henry and the Titans, even though Derrick Henry wasn't fully healthy. They went into Tennessee, got the win in Nashville where it was, you know, weather's different. It's cold in Cincinnati, but, you know, it's kind of, you know, they're on a road. It's not the ideal playing situation. And then they go to Kansas City where it is cold, where it's loud, where it's hard to play. You're playing the Chiefs who were playing in their fourth straight AFC championship game, and they beat them. I mean, you can't look at that track record 
that they left in this playoff season and tell me that that was a fluke of the Cincinnati Bengals. This is a team that's going to be back. Joe Burrow's great. If he if that offensive line gets a revamp, if that offensive line gets a bolsterment in some sort of fashion, I mean, my goodness, draft any big guy and put him there that is better than who you have now, and you're going to protect Burrow and probably win a ring within the next couple of seasons. So I think Burrow will be back. Those were my three post-game thoughts for Super Bowl 56. Predicted that OBJ would have a great game until he got injured. Also predicted that it would come down to Cincinnati protecting Joe Burrow, and it did. And then I said, good for Stafford. Burrow's going to be back soon. Now, I did this on Twitter. Three post-halftime show thoughts, and I'm going to give them here to, to conclude the show. We're in this last segment, the back leg of the show. Here's my thought number one. Kendrick Lamar was the best part of that halftime show. And yes, I'm biased because I think he's the best rapper alive. Got some heat. Got some heat from friend of the show, Jason Fonder, saying Ice-T. Yo, come on, best rapper in the world. A lot of people say J. Cole or a lot of people say, you know, and I'm going alive, so this doesn't include Biggie Smalls. This doesn't include Tupac. You know, a lot of people like the lyricism of Eminem. I think Kendrick Lamar has it all. He has rhythm to his music. I mean, it's got meaning. He spits complete fire. He's a great lyricist, and he's dropped. I mean, his resume is impressive album after impressive album after impressive album. So I think Kendrick Lamar is the best rapper alive, and that's why I think that he was uh, the best part of that that Super Bowl halftime show. I said this too. My second thought, 50 Cent being upside down was 100% unnecessary. I didn't think that that needed – you know, he did it in the music video for that song when the song released. But, come on, really? I mean, 50 Cent is like 50 years old. I mean, he came down and looked like he was a little woozy. You know what I'm saying? A live performance, he's hanging upside down on a halftime show. Come on. You know, I mean, almost fell forward after he came down from the Raptors. So, I don't know that it was 100% necessary. I might retract it. You know, that was just kind of something harsh on my part, but. It's a thought I had. It's uh, you know, it's one of the thoughts I had. Does he really need to be upside down on TV? Come on now. And then my last thought overall, nine and a half out of ten. I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good halftime show. A lot of people asking, "Is that the best halftime show ever?" You know, people saying, "Is that the best half? That's the best halftime show." What do you expect out of a live performance on live TV? You know, it's not on a stage. That's not souped up to get the best audio. I mean, it's a live performance. You know, it's not like the Black Eyed Peas from Super Bowl 45 Packers Steelers where, you know, they did that thing with the lights and it said love and they just changed the words or whatever. And then half the lights went out and didn't work. You know, it's not like that. But it's also not, you know, anything. Spe- it's a, it, it depends what your standards are, I suppose, for live performances at a sporting venue. It wasn't anything special to me. I'm not going to look back on that in 10 years and go, wow. I wish they just performed at every Super Bowl halftime show. You know, I mean, it's a live performance. They did what they did. I mean, they did what they had to do. I like the whole setup with like a house and they're all in different parts because the music all jived together. I think it was a cool gig. I don't know that I'm a fan of having multiple artists perform at the same time. I like there to be a headliner, you know, because it's challenging the artist. What do you got? You know, give me your best halftime show, Black Eyed Peas, The Who, Super Bowl 44, Saints, Colts. 
you know, give me the, give me your best shot. You know, Prince from well, what year was that? Two thousand seven. Give me your best shot at what you got for a live performance in a halftime show. It's almost it's almost you know begging them to give me a good performance. The weekend last year, Super Bowl fifty five. I I wasn't a fan of that. There was too much illusionment and you know craziness going on. I wasn't a fan of that halftime show, but. You know, when you pair multiple artists together, it just kind of waters down the namesake of, holy cow, Kendrick Lamar is going to be there. Or, wow, you know, they're going to bring up 50 Cent. It's just kind of, oh, it's Dr. Dre, it's Snoop Dogg, it's 50 Cent. They're all going to do like one song and then, you know, get the heck off the field. Whatever. That's just my thought. Nine and a half out of ten overall. Hey, we made it to the end. Solo. Just about a 50-minute show at that, too. No Will McCormick. Let me know what you think about this episode. Let me know what you thought about anything I had to say at Tony G Nation on Twitter, TonyGNation.com. Let me know your opinions. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to them. Let me hear you. Make your voice heard at Tony G Nation. So that is it. Uh, Will McCormick to be back soon. We'll miss him today. But, uh, yeah, it was a good show. We thank you for listening. I mean, your support is always welcome on the Tony G Show. We'll be back Thursday to talk. I know for sure I want to discuss the uh, NFL awards from the season, the season NFL awards. So we will get to that on Thursday. I look forward to speaking to you then. This is the Tony G Show.